Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, and this week I am talking to you about a concept that's a little nebulous, a little complicated, a little confusing. Uh, its name alone belies this fact. I'm talking about crypto-fascism. Now, crypto-fascism as a term has a lot of different meanings, a lot of different different definitions and interpretations of it. That's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. Probably a good starting place for talking about the definition is that a crypto-fascist, uh, as in a, a portmanteau of the word crypto, like the, the, the prefix that means like hidden, like cryptography, you know, like, like hiding the meaning behind a word. Uh, a crypto-fascist is probably somebody who supports fascist ideology or would be or is a fascist, but can't be so openly. Or it's somebody whose politics are fascist, uh, but they don't even really know that yet. Uh, those are the two general meanings that are bandied around for, for crypto-fascism, um, but exactly which one is which uh, becomes a little bit more nebulous. The origins of the term are also themselves nebulous. Uh, in English, the term was popularized in a paraphrase of a, uh, a debate between Gore Vidal and William F. Buckley Jr. Now, Gore Vidal was a literary figure, critic, public intellectual type uh, on the left in general in the 1960s and 70s. William F. Buckley was the same, except for the extreme right wing. Uh, William F. Buckley Jr. has actually become uh, an incredibly important figure on the right wing in general today. Uh, his thinking and logic and his ideas about how to build a right wing movement and specifically a cadre of right wing intellectuals leading right wing politics has become incredibly influential including after his death in 2008. However, during the 1960s and 70s, Vidal and Buckley engaged in a series of televised debates on NPR. Uh, these were extremely popular and very famous. And some of the first times that like mainstream television, and you know, this was a time when uh, there weren't that many chances to watch, so a lot more people watched NPR. This was one of the first times that a lot of people in the United States, most of whom at this time had not attended college, the vast majority of people had not attended college, they were encountering a fully academic style debate, you know, like a real Oxford style debate between Vidal and Buckley. Uh, in one of these debates, Gore Vidal accused William F. Buckley of sort of having fascist politics, but not having the guts to talk about it. And then in a paraphrase of his comments, uh, NPR later said that Vidal called Buckley, quote, a crypto-fascist. And so this is why Vidal is sometimes said to have coined the phrase. Another probable origin point from the phrase is Theodor Adorno, the important German intellectual, a Marxist theorist and philosopher from um, Germany, who is a prominent member of the Frankfurt School, which is a school of Marxist thought, who used the term in private correspondence and also in several uh, op-eds. Originally, the term crypto-fascist was used primarily in a art criticism context. Uh, so it was used by Marxist theorists, Marxist intellectuals to describe artistic tendencies, to describe artistic ideologies, or to describe the thrust or themes of an artistic work. And to say that like a work, it, you know, is a way to describe a work being fascist or relating to fascism or promoting fascism or promoting what the, the, you know, the author of this criticism believed to be fascist ideologies when, you know, the author of the book itself was not willing or interested in actually promoting fascism in a more outright way. 
So it's a means of accusing an author of having a, a secret, even possibly unknown to themselves or their readers, uh, fascist tendency. One perfect example of this, which often comes up in literature dealing with crypto-fascism, is Robert Heinlein, a golden age science fiction author. That means, you know, he, he was writing in the United States in the 1960s, and he wrote a lot of extremely important and influential pieces of science fiction, many of which have been adapted into uh, major motion pictures. One of his most obviously fascist, and therefore crypto-fascist, pieces of fiction is Starship Troopers. Uh, if you have seen the film Starship Troopers, it is a satirical piece about nationalism and militarism. However, the satire is not really quite there in the book Starship Troopers. It's just a celebration of military service and a celebration of the idea of gaining citizenship to your country through military service. Uh, that only military service is the means by which a person can uh, achieve true belonging in their society. That's a pretty fascist idea, right? Uh, and it is something that has made a lot of theorists and critics describe Heinlein's work, and uh, specifically this particular work, as being crypto-fascist. That is, being fascist in a sort of like secret, under-the-table type way. Another author whose, whose work has been accused of crypto-fascism is Brett Easton Ellis, uh, who wrote the, the novels American Psycho and Fight Club. Uh, these two novels themselves uh, are kind of, you know, a little bit weirdly fascist. They have arguable narrative positions. They have, uh, you know, the ability to claim to be satire. But the thing is that as you read them, you you find yourself wondering the author's own position relative to that satirical bent. Now, the films themselves are supposed to be satire, right? Uh, just like the film about Starship Troopers. The film American Psycho, for example, is a brilliant piece of feminist cinema. Um, it is a clearly satirical piece about uh, masculine violence and about the violence of finance capital, right? Uh, the book American Psycho can claim to have some of those complexities, but just the, the, the insidious way that it's written leaves you wondering what the author was really thinking uh, when he was writing this. And, you know, yeah, yeah, like like what the author intended for a piece of fiction isn't always what the meaning was. But the point is that you read the book and you find yourself thinking like, okay, is this person actually right wing? How do I feel about consuming their work? Like, do I think that I shouldn't? Uh, that sort of thing, right? That would potentially lead you to say that a work is crypto fascist. Another example of a work that might be accused of crypto-fascism is, again, the novel Children of Men. Uh, the film, of course, Children of Men, is a science fiction thriller that is about the problems, the dangers of patriarchal ideas about marriage and birth. The book is a significantly less self-aware and self-critical and, you know, concludes with the main character sort of like taking over the body of the only pregnant woman in the world. And uh, the book definitely presents this to the reader as the triumph, the return of patriarchy in a, in, in, you know, a sort of positive way. Um, these are all things that could be read as crypto-fascist, right? Works whose authorship, whose intent is arguably fascistic. In the present day, crypto-fascism is also used to describe a lot of actually existing political movements, which 
in a lot of Western countries have started increasingly to flirt with fascism without being overtly fascistic in the manner of, you know, the Nazi party, the Italian fascist party, or even a lot of the other fascist parties, or even like, you know, fascist related parties in the 1930s and 40s. For example, the theorist and academic Samantha Kutter uh, has used the word crypto-fascist to describe the Proud Boys. Uh, she claims that crypto-fascism is a useful word to use for these people because they use coded language and communication strategies, and that these organizations use these coded languages and communication strategies as dog whistles and recruitment tactics, that their obfuscation of their fascism allows them to be fascist in the open in a way that most people wouldn't recognize, but which people who are on the extreme right wing would recognize. So that means that like, other members of the extreme right wing would recognize them as allies, you know, as compatriots, as comrades, as, as fellow travelers on the right wing. It also means that people are, you know, a little bit less far right. So conservatives recognize them as, you know, as fascists, as people who they can collaborate with against the left, but that moderates hear, you know, they, they hear the smokescreen, you know, they, they hear something like, for example, like what the Proud Boys say about themselves, you know, they say, well, we're not white nationalists. They say we're Western chauvinists. What the fuck does that mean? Well, it means that they're white nationalists. But the point is that they, they, you know, they, they, they obscure, they pretend to not be fascists, and uh, their relationship to fascism is the question here, right? And so her claim is that crypto-fascism is a useful term in this capacity. This returns us to our definition of crypto-fascism. Uh, crypto-fascism can either refer to uh, people who hide their arguably true, truly existing dearly held fascistic beliefs. So, uh, for example, the Proud Boys, right? We just talked about them. Uh, but also somebody like Roger Stone, right? Who clearly, in his correspondence, in his speech, uh, both public and in private, talks about destroying elections. He talks about killing politicians. He talks about galvanizing right-wing militant organizations in the street. Steve Bannon is another example of somebody who could be called a crypto-fascist in this sense. You know, he hides his fascism in the open. Right, he 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 uses fascistic language and logic, but hidden behind a a plausible screen of deniability. Right, so he talks about civilizational clashes, or you know, cultural turns, or something like that. Right, when what he means is right wing revolution to destroy the left. Uh, the question here is what happens when the uh, sort of crypto gloves come off of these people, right? When they can be increasingly open and obvious about this. As, for example, in the last several weeks, just like straight up open anti-Semitism has become something that people on the right wing in the United States have just been just been saying. Like Marjorie Taylor Greene has just like talked about like, you know, Jewish cabals controlling the media. You know, that's 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 just become more and more open now. This is related to the other potential definition of crypto-fascism, and that's people who are fascists or would be fascists, but don't know it yet, right? People who just haven't been recruited by fascism or people who just like, you know, they think that the word fascism or Nazi or something is a little bit too far for them. Like they're not gonna, they're not gonna have a swastika, but if you ask them like a survey that they would agree with all of the things that those people believe in, right? So we're talking about like your, you know, gun toting, truck driving, straight shooting, tell it like it is good old boy type person, right? Um, this is the sort of person who could be recruited by a fascist organization, but who might balk at openly fascist rhetoric. 
Arguably, some of the people who cooperate with Donald Trump could also be described as crypto-fascists in this way, that they like and support his policies, that they like and support his attacks on mainstream Republicans and mainstream Democrats, but they would have a hard time, you know, really sitting with actual open fascist rhetoric. Again, the problem here is that a lot of that open fascist rhetoric is just becoming more open. People are just saying those things now. Um, this means that the question becomes, what is the usefulness of a term like crypto-fascist? Um, are we saying that somebody needs to say in the street, like, hey, I am a Nazi in order for them to be labeled as a fascist? Uh, do they need to be so obviously and transparently fascist that uh, no other possible word could be used to describe them? Uh, what do we get out of calling somebody a fascist if they're only arguably a fascist? Uh, what do we get out of calling somebody a crypto fascist if, you know, it's just like if it's just transparently obvious that they are increasingly open about their fascist politics? This really begs the question about the usefulness of the term, and it's why I use it honestly somewhat sparingly and uh, often just as a sort of joke uh, or as an insult primarily to people who do not know that they are fascist or who are uh, actually fascists, but who think that they are trying to cover their butts by pretending not to be. Uh, it's why I don't use the term crypto-fascist to describe groups like the Oath Keepers or the Proud Boys or the Three Percenters or Patriot Front because, you know, those people are just pretty openly fascist. I mean, you can't really use it for Patriot Front because, you know, their symbol is an actual fascies. Like, they actually have a fascies on their symbol, you know. They're, they're, they're not crypto about any of this stuff. That That's pretty blatant. And that's precisely my point. When you have a group of young, white, male thugs operating in the street trying to create a mass organization in order to overthrow democracy and install a white, male, aristocratic, but also popularly organized, and, and by popular I mean like like at the grassroots level, uh, government, like that's not crypto anymore. Uh, that's just fascism. And uh, that is why I question the utility of the term, especially as the right wing and as fascism has become more and more obvious, open, transparent, and in their own words, proud. All right. That was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. And I mean that sincerely. If you enjoy the podcast, share it with other people. Uh, it's how people learn about it. And I make this so that people who are curious about these sorts of things learn about it. If you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism, all one word and spelled out. That's also where you can reach me at Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at hist of the right, that's H I S T of the right, and on fascism15 at Twitter. All right, thanks very much, and I'll talk to you next week. 